0: Welcome to this Endo Life episode 112. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. The information shared in this podcast shouldn't be used to replace your current medical treatment and is here for educational purposes only. As always I want to thank our first sponsor today, BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream and they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients. If my clients are going through a flare up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes, I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more, uh, side effect free option. So, um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. <laughs> um, and if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's b e y o u online.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. And I just want to give a shout out to my other sponsors, Sermaine Health, the lovely girls who came on the show before in the past. You may have heard their interview or heard some of their previous ads with me. Uh, You know I'm a big fan of this supplement. It's an anti-inflammatory supplement that contains some really wonderful nutrients and vitamins and minerals, including magnesium, curcumin, quercetin, and vitamin D3. And it's designed to take two days before your period and during your period to reduce pain and inflammation. And the response from the endometriosis community has been incredible. Just go to their website to see some of their testimonials. I love the supplement myself. Lots of my clients use the supplement and love it too. And I wanted to let you guys know that they've actually just reduced their subscription price to $28.99 as a result of everything that's going on with COVID and they're really trying to make their supplement as accessible as possible for everyone who needs it so I wanted to let you guys know that that is now available and if you're interested in getting hold of a jar you can go to www.semainehealth.com and that's spelled s-e-m-a-i-n-e health.com I'll put the link in my show notes okay so If you guys listened to last week's episode, you will know that uh, I shared some stats on endometriosis and allergies, um, and some of the standout stats were that people with endometriosis are four times more likely to have allergies, 61% of people with endo have been found to have allergies in the the research, and 88% of people with endo, fibromyalgia, and or chronic fatigue syndrome also had allergies. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's not very long, you could go back and have a a listen. But in short, the association between allergies and endometriosis is really, really strong. Um, And I am proof of that right now because I've just set up my mic stand and um, I have this sort of sound box thing and it's got foam in it, and you can't really clean the foam, it kind of stops the sound from, um, it stops you from having an echo, and I think there's probably dust on the foam, and it's making me sneezy, so excuse me if I sound a little bit, yeah, a bit stuffy right now. So, what today's episode is, um, I actually wanted to do this episode as kind of being research plus my story and then what worked for me and what's kind of been shown to work, but actually I'm separating that into two because otherwise I think it's just going to be too long and too much information for you guys. So I'm breaking down kind of my story and the research and the connections between SIBO, endometriosis, allergies, histamines and and interstitial cystitis because they are all connected. And then... Next week, I'll talk about what's worked for me and what other rec- uh, what other health experts recommend. So, as I kind of gave you guys a bit of an intro into last week, I've always had allergies in terms of an- um, animals. I was reading pollen and animals at the same time. Um, animals, pollen, dust, and it was really, it, it's always been really bad it would get so bad that I couldn't really see out of my eyes and my, the, you know, kind of like the pink fleshy bit in the corner of your eyes, it would swell and kind of grow over the white of my eyes right up until, up to the coloured part of my eye, the iris I think it's called, I guess as a protection, to stop anything from getting in my eye. That must be, you know, protective mechanism that happens in really extreme circumstances. So I'd literally have like half my eye. There was no white, it was this fleshy red part. My throat would start closing. I'd be constantly sneezing, just, it was awful. And I would feel really, really exhausted the next day. Like if I had an allergy reaction in the evening before school, I was going to feel really rough the next day and I really would kind of pray that everything would calm down and I wouldn't have to go to school like swollen up like some giant red tomato. And as you guys know, I have a lot of food intolerances, but whether they're allergens or not, I'm not sure. Um, Allergies or not, I'm not sure. I've mainly used elimination diets to work out my sensitivities because we do know that a lot of the tests aren't very reliable and an elimination diet is one of the most effective ways to test whether you've got sensitivities or intolerances and none none of the kind of issues that I have with food are life-threatening of course I wouldn't say do an elimination diet and then try reintroducing peanuts and seeing if you react if you have severe that kind of severe allergies and of course how many of my kind of food issues are kind of all down to me having SIBO so that's a bit of a great area but you will always find me with a tissue on me I'm never without a tissue and it is absolutely ridiculous my nose is constantly running. It's just a huge part of my life. And I would say in the past five to six years, they've been progressing and worsening. I do feel like when we lived in Crystal Palace, they were starting to get bad, but they went through phases. And it was when we moved down to Margate that things got really severe for me. So I'm not sure how many of you guys know this story, but. We moved into a building that was, it's like um, a period property that's separated into apartments and the first flat we moved into wasn't a problem but we were only in there for three months because there was a guy above us who was abusing his partner and it all got out of control and I got involved and our landlord to protect us moved us into the basement flat that had become available and... We took it because we sort of had to at this point because he was like, I mean, we hadn't slept since we moved in because of the everything, the violence that was happening through the night and he was coming down and banging on our door and stuff. So we moved into the basement flat, which wasn't very far away from him, clearly, but our landlord had him evicted in the end. And it was actually supposed to be a temporary solution whilst they waited for another one of their properties to come up because they own pretty much most of Margate, um, But they have like some really nice properties. So they were going it to, was, it was a temporary solution. So we moved downstairs and that's when my health really went downhill. And what I should note is that we'd seen a cat going in and out of this house previously. And when we moved in uh, straight, well, yeah, the day we moved in, we realized that There was a flea infestation and there were hairs deeply embedded into the carpet. I think what happened is these people moved out because they couldn't get on top of their flea infestation. They didn't want to tell the landlords. And so we had to hoover it again and again and again that day and like sort of rake up the hair to try and get the place clean. And the flea infestation took three months to kill. So we thoroughly cleaned the place and it was repeatedly treated until the fleas were gone. And we had to wash absolutely everything, like every furnishing that we could, everything was washed or, you know, sprayed or taken to dry cleaners and, you know. So then on top of that, after those three months, so that was December when the fleas finally seemed to have gone. Um, We went away for like three days and we came back to a flood, a really serious flood. I'm talking about like our furniture floating kind of flood. So we had to move out for six weeks and the house was drained and dried. So of course, there's going to be like a damp and mold issue starting with that, especially given that it's a basement flat already. it's It was a really cold flat. It, feel, it feels like if you've ever walked into a cave, that coolness of a cave, it's like that kind of coldness. So despite like the cat and the flood issues, I didn't really put my health at the time down to that because we'd cleaned so thoroughly and obviously the fleas aren't going to cause, um, the allergies and stuff but we had a family sickness a terminal family sickness at that time and Chris was away a lot to care for them and obviously we had the guy upstairs and there was numerous other things going on so I put what was happening to me down to stress and anxiety and and a food allergy I did think there was mold and a mold issue and some kind of well, like a damp issue on some kind of level we couldn't really visibly see mold at that time, but I put it, I, I felt like there was probably mold somewhere that I wasn't seeing. And I did think it was part, part to do with damp. I, I did think that was part of it. But at that time, we thought we would be kind of moving sooner rather than later. So the symptoms that I was getting was shortness of breath chest tightening, chest pain, palpitations. And what's difficult here is that actually, weirdly, iron deficiency, so iron deficiency anemia can manifest in those symptoms, of of course, including things like fatigue as well, histamine intolerance, asthma. um, There are certain other like deficiencies and conditions that can manifest in, in those symptoms. And of course, stress and anxiety. And then very quickly, maybe even at the same time, I began to get, excuse the detail, I said this last week, excessive amounts of mucus that would keep me up at night and really like a a ridiculous amount, like a how is this possible kind of thing. And it was as if it would build up throughout the day and I was blowing my nose throughout the day, but it would never clear. And then I would lie down and I guess me shifting, the gravity shifting, would suddenly just create, I don't know, release this mucus, and I'd just be blowing my nose for like ages. It w- it was just crazy, and it would keep me up at night, and it was really affecting. It was really affecting my day, recording, having conversations with people. So I began cutting things out, um, but to no avail, really. Um, and after about could it, six months, maybe even a year. Um, We stayed at the house because the family member passed away and we were just really too traumatised and exhausted by what had happened to move and we just needed some time to kind of recuperate. So we stayed in the flat. But by this point, about six months, a year in, I stopped eating oats in the morning for breakfast. Now, I was having gluten-free oats, but people with Gluten intolerances can often have an intolerance to other grains, especially oats. So I put it down to that when my mucus issue cleared up like this, the really excessive mucus issue cleared up. But in place of that came worsening symptoms and new symptoms. So an acute worsening of my bladder pain. I'd lived with bladder pain for about five, well, gosh, bladder issues since I was 17 18 when those started I thought they were due to my car accident because I had a catheter in for many many weeks because I was temporarily paralyzed and so I was always told that it was sort of related to that I had a lot of bladder frequency pressure and irritation but then over the years I started to get a discomfort after I urinated which then evolved to, to pain. And before we moved here, the pain only really happened after I went to the toilet in the morning or when I'd been holding for a really long time. So it wasn't really affecting me badly because it wasn't, my bladder wasn't waking me up. I'd wake up, then I'd go to the toilet, and then I'd start my day. But what had started happening now is that the bladder pain was all the time and it was keeping me up at night for hours, and then it would wake me up in the night, or if I went, if I woke up to go to the toilet in the night, it would then burn, and that would then keep me awake. Constant sneezing, increasing sneezing had started as well, you know, instead of sneezing like 30 times a day, which I was used to, I was sneezing on like 100, like 200 times a day, I feel like, when it was really bad, it was a, I'm a ridiculous amount, and I, I'm not exaggerating when I say like, this has been really severe, like really severe allergies, just kind of unbelievably ridiculous. And I was having it, having much worse, like shortness shortness of breath, tightness of my chest, um, chest pain, palpitations, exhaustion, constant puffy eyes, dizziness as well, and. In a way, I can't help but think that my immune system adapted or perhaps it had been beaten. It got to a point where it was creating excessive mucus to try and keep out whatever was triggering it. But that didn't work. So now the immune response had changed to deal with the allergens that were in my body. So it was at this point that I started to investigate SIBO and histamines. And I wanted to kind of explain to you some of the research as to why I went down that route. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by Bu. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. So if you know you're due on, you might want to start wearing your period patch 24 hours beforehand just so that your muscles begin to relax and you're less likely to have really bad cramps. To find out more about BU, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go to www.buonline.co.uk. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis symptom tracker. If you kind of feel a bit overwhelmed by your pain and your symptoms and you really just don't know where to start with managing them, then tracking your symptoms over a couple of months or even just a month to see what your triggers might be could be really helpful. I've put together a free download that helps you track your pain, your mood, your brain fog, uh, your bloating, where you are in your cycle, your eating habits, your stress levels, so many different things um, in a really simple and effective way. If you'd like to try it out, um, obviously it's free, just head to the show notes, follow the link and you can get your own copy. Research has found that SIBO has been found in 80% of endo patients, and there's a lot of doctors who are saying it's in hundred percent of endo patients. SIBO can affect the way that histamine is broken down in the body. So histamines are an immune reaction in the body in response to an allergen and their role is to clear those allergens out of the body. Although they are used in other roles as well, they're actually released during our period as part of that process and they're also found in foods, so they're found in a lot of fermented, cultured foods, lots in alcohol and they need to be broken down and filtered out otherwise they can build up and create what is known as histamine intolerance issues when you have an excess of histamine in the body and it creates a response of very severe, essentially allergens, but also other problems. Sorry, allergy reactions, but also other problems. So some symptoms of histamine intolerance include, and this is a list from Dr. Becky Campbell's website. She is a histamine intolerance expert. She's got a book on histamines. I can't remember the name. I think it's a four-step histamine healing plan, maybe. I'll put the link in my show notes. But here are some of the symptoms. Headaches, diarrhea, eczema, hives, irregular heartbeat, low blood pressure, wheezing, runny nose, heartburn, PMS, seasonal allergies, food allergies, asthma, motion sickness, nausea, irritability, loose stools, chest tightness. And I also wanted to add from... Other sources from Becky Campbell and other experts insomnia, brain fog, congestion, and dizziness. And that isn't just where the list ends, that's just some of them. There's also associated diseases with histamine intolerance, including interstitial cystitis. And the theory behind that is due to elevated histamine levels and mast cells in the bladder in people with interstitial cystitis. Now, To me, the studies look quite small and I imagine there still needs to be research done. And as you heard us discuss in my episode with Nicole Cozine, interstitial societies is not normally caused by one issue. There's normally like a multitude of issues going on. And so I wouldn't say that histamine is just the root cause, but it's certainly a contributing factor. And what mast cells are, Those are the cells that actually release histamine. So if you've heard of mast cell activation syndrome, the problem with that is that your mast cells are basically very excited, constantly releasing lots of allergens. And that can be a problem for a lot of people with various conditions, autoimmune conditions. There's a lot of overlap between that. So with IC... You know we might have issues with the pelvic floor we might have SIBO which is connected to IC as well but we've also got excess mast cells inside the bladder and then that's creating elevated histamine levels and in terms of the SIBO and the bladder connection that's also really strong bladder issues bladder pain bladder frequency bladder pressure is Actually, listed as a symptom of hydrogen sulfide type SIBO, and what they have now discovered recently is that the bacteria that they think is the cause of hydrogen sulfide type SIBO is also the same bacteria that causes chronic bladder infections. So they're getting kind of closer and closer to that link there, and I'll I would like to have Dr. C. on or someone else on the show to talk about this in more detail because this is this is very new. This is actually an update that we had in our course. Um, I watched it just last week. So it's really fascinating because it's given us a bit more of a clue as to why SIBO is so connected with interstitial stagitis and with endometriosis as well, which you can, if you go back to my episode with Dr. Alison Seebecker, you can hear us talking more about that. So my theory was... At that point, was that I felt I'd always had SIBO since I was two, as I've explained to you, two, three, and now I felt that I was probably at a point where my gut was so so compromised that I wasn't able to break down histamines anymore, and then perhaps the stress of what we'd gone through had then triggered it. And again, just to give you some context, here are some of the key causes of histamine intolerance: leaky gut, SIBO gut health problems, hormonal imbalances, particularly estrogen dominance or excess estrogen, HPA axis dysfunction, which you guys know I've talked about as having, and um, I will do some episodes on that in the future, a diet high in histamine foods or histamine liberators, so foods that kind of encourage histamine productivity, so fermented foods, cultured or aged foods, excess protein or alcohol, sleep deprivation and stress. So stress can actually increase histamine production in the body. Now on top of that, histamines are also directly related to endo. Recently, so in the past like couple of years, they have found that mast cells are increased in endometriosis lesions and mast cells are thought to play such a big role in endo now that they're now calling to look at it look at treating the mast cells and histamine as a way of treating endometriosis there's a lot of research going on in that at the moment so we could reasonably assume although i i don't think it states this in the literature but i'd have to double check that we can reasonably assume that people with endo may have higher histamine levels what's also fascinating is that at least in my experience and in the experience of many other experts that I've trained with or who I work with. People with endo can often have estrogen dominance. So just to give you guys a recap of estrogen dominance, it is when we have a hormonal hormonal imbalance where we have too much estrogen in relation to progesterone. You might have a healthier level of estrogen, but your progesterone is so low that you now have like this seesaw effect where the histamine is higher. Then the progesterone, or you may actually genuinely have too much histamine. And the symptoms of estrogen dominance are symptoms like heavy bleeding, clotty periods, bad PMS, feeling really wiped out during your period, cramps. It's a lot of the symptoms that we might put down to as endo. And actually there's an imbalance going on that would improve these symptoms if we worked on it. So oestrogen dominance is is really common generally and it might not be that endo is the link there but we do know that endo is an oestrogen driven disease and that it makes its own oestrogen too. Now there has been a study in 2018 I think that showed that not all endometriosis cells are driven by oestrogen but we do have a lot of research showing that many of them are so it might not be all of them but many. So what's interesting here is that oestrogen actually triggers mast cells to release histamines. So as oestrogen is rising towards ovulation, and again, there's a surge of oestrogen just before your period, histamines are being released. Now, if that wasn't enough, histamine then triggers the ovaries to produce additional oestrogen. So you have a cycle of histamines being released from the mast cells in the endolesions estrogen being released from endo, from the endolesions estrogen naturally rising due to our cycle estrogen then triggering histamine and histamines increasing estrogen perhaps on top of estrogen dominance in general or actually causing the estrogen dominance. And to add the cherry on the top, progesterone may be lower in a case of hormonal imbalances like estrogen dominance or estrogen excess, as I mentioned. So if your progesterone is low, the problem here is that progesterone aids the clearance of histamines because it increases DAO. And DAO is an enzyme that helps the gut to clear histamines from the body. And estrogen in turn actually down-regulates DAO basically means that DAO is no longer able to do its job because the body is less responsive to it. So I know that's kind of a lot to get your head around. There's a lot of kind of links everywhere but let's just kind of do a recap. SIBO affects the body's ability to break down histamines. With interstitial cystitis there are excess mast cells and excess histamine levels inside the bladder. Endometriosis lesions have been found to have mast cells in them, increased levels of mast cells, so we can reasonably assume that there's histamine being released and made. Endometriosis lesions release oestrogen as well. Oestrogen triggers mast cells to release histamines, and histamines triggers the ovaries to make more oestrogen. So we have a lot of oestrogen and histamines going on there in different kind of places in the body and then on top of that, we have the gut being affected in its ability to break down histamines. And then you've also got the issue that the enzyme DAO, which breaks down histamines, is potentially being made redundant by excess estrogen. It's being made essentially useless by excess estrogen. So what may have been happening for me was a cycle of estrogen and histamines causing a buildup of histamines in the long run and then due to SIBO affecting my gut, that affecting the ability to break it down. And for a while, I thought it was stress that was the trigger because stress causes histamine, raises histamine production, as I mentioned. And I still do think That stress has played a huge role in this but I now feel that environmental factors are playing maybe even a bigger role um, because it all you know all really triggered when we moved into this house and in next week's episode I'll talk about all of the mold and humidity issues that we've had in here. So in January I underwent a low oxalate and low histamine diet and that was to try and reduce the overall histamines in my body and also because we suspected that oxalates, which I found in foods, might be also the cause of my bladder issues. So my palpitations pretty much ceased um, during this diet, as did my chest pain, but my bladder pain actually skyrocketed. And we think it's because I was so stressed doing this diet and it was it was very, very difficult. And so I think that that actually just worsened the pain in the long run. And then after I did that, I then tested positive for SIBO and decided to pursue that route because I believe that my SIBO is really at the root of many of my problems. And really, it is at the root of so many problems. It's a very common condition. 70% of people with IBS actually have SIBO. It affects our gut and our nutrient levels so dramatically that it's often behind a lot of problems in the body. So, I wanted to treat that first and see whether that would alleviate my bladder issues and my histamine problems, all my allergies, because I also strongly suspected that I had hydrogen sulfide type SIBO as well as methane and hydrogen type. So at the time, I when I took the test, I could only test for hydrogen and methane. There's now a test in um, the States, which is for all three, but I don't have access to that. So when I can get that over here, I would be fascinated to see what my test results are. But obviously, I've started treating now, so it might not come out in time for me to test it. So I had to wait to get enough money to do the SIBO treatment because it's... it's expensive it's really expensive unfortunately and I didn't really have the time to dedicate into deciding which treatment protocols I was going to do go going to go down and I was very very busy with work so as you guys know I started my treatment in October of this year so in the meantime my allergies really worsened and I felt like I had a cold or flu every single day I really yeah I mean all all year long, I've had bladder pain, but I've also felt like I had the flu or a or cold, bad cold. And it was really exhausting, you know, that kind of fatigue you get from having a cold or, or even bad hay fever. You know, when you get bad hay fever, you get really drowsy. That's how I felt. So in October, I did my treatment plan. And it was really then when I had the opportunity to stop and reflect. And I was in bed pretty much all the time because of my SIBO treatment and the side effects of that. And I realized how bad my allergies were. I really realized how bad my allergies were and kind of reflected on the year. And that even though my bladder pain has kept me up for the majority of the year, and it's awful being in pain daily, I realized that day in, day out, it was the allergies that were making me feel so unwell on on this daily basis. And I think it was I really actually felt like it was those that were wiping me out over the bladder pain. And I still had a long way to go with the SIBO treatment. Well, I still have a long way to go. I'm gonna be doing my second treatment round in about 10 days. And I'll probably need a third. And then we'll retest and see how see how it's going. Um and if it's you know, if it's not gone yet, then I'll start I'll start another treatment round. So I still have a very long way to go and I need, well, I needed to find some solutions in the moment that would reduce my allergies now because I can't wait for my gut to be fully healed before I can feel better. It's just not a possibility. I need to be able to record a podcast without having to stop to sneeze and to clear my nose and clear my throat and to not be sneezing 200 times a day and you know, feeling like I have a cold every day of the year. So whilst I was off, I started putting in some strategies in place to reduce the immediate kind of threats to my immune system that were in the environment. So the mold, the humidity, pollen, dust mites, and also kind of giving my body some support to, to beat those. So next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you the key strategies that have helped me and really have helped me guys, and suggestions from other experts. But I am pleased to say that I am, I would say, Chris is going to be editing this, my boyfriend, so I wonder what percentage he would give. But I would say that my allergies are like, well, some aspects of them are dramatically changed like 70 to 80 percent better and then some of them are like 50 percent better so I'll dive into that more next week but I just want to let you guys know that there is hope and Chris for example isn't affected by anything that's going on in our home so it's not it's not the it's not black and white like oh you've got mold and humidity in your home that's you know that's the problem and when that's when that's gone you'll be great because It's actually how my body is responding to it. Of course, we shouldn't be living with mold and humidity in our homes. It's a really big problem in the UK. I think something like 70% of houses um, or homes have like humidity or condensation or mold or damp. It's like a really big health problem that a lot of doctors are talking about at the moment. And you might not know it's that bad or, or really there. So... Or, or how to deal with it. And I think for us, it was kind of the issue of trying, we were trying to keep on top of it by cleaning it, but it's actually like, well, what's causing cool the mold in the first place? And that's the humidity and how do we deal with that? So even though it's really helped with some instant kind of gratification of lowering symptoms, that's not going to help me like forever. Like I need to be able to go through the summer seasons without like having hysterical sneezing fits all the time. I need to get my body to a point where my histamine production is lower and that my body's ability to break histamines down is much, much better because there's a reason why Chris and I have had different responses to where we're living right now. And that's obviously (laughs) because I have lots of mast cells in my body making lots of histamines so I hope that I've, what I've tried to do is put my story well the science and the research in context of my story to kind of help you guys maybe piece together some parts of your own story recognize symptoms or just really understand more about what's going on with you because I feel like a lot of our recovery comes down to being your own health detective. And investigating. And thankfully, being a health coach, I've had the information and the resources to now go down that route and to investigate my own health. But if I didn't have this knowledge and the studies that I've done, then I would still be wondering what's going on for me. So I hope that kind of by explaining my detective story into my health and what's going on, you might be able to piece together your own. So I hope this episode was helpful for you. I'm sorry if it was a bit boring me going into some of my own my situation but again some of you this might be relevant to you might relate to it all of the studies that i've mentioned all of the research that i've mentioned i'm going to link into the show notes so if you want to learn more about it just head to the show notes it's all going to be there so let me know how you're getting on with your allergy issues so many of you have reached out to me in the past week since i've been talking about this and I really, really feel for you. And I really hope that these episodes are bringing you some insight, some hope, some validation, some understanding. And that next week, you're going to have some tools to deal with them. And even now, this, you know, just this week, hearing the story, you might start being able to piece bits of the puzzle together and realize what changes you can start making at home. So, yeah. I hope this has been helpful also keep your eye out on my instagram because i have a really really special announcement coming this week um towards the end of the week and it's an opportunity for you guys to get involved with shaping the support that i provide for people going forward and to get some support yourself and yeah i'm really excited this is really what i've wanted to do my kind of whole career with endo so um i'm really excited to bring this out next next week no towards the end of this week so um keep your eyes peeled and i will speak to you next week bye if you want to find out more about what i do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um you can head to my instagram page which is this underscore endolife Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world